0: So, all right, are you ready? He is risen. He is risen me. Uh, that's pretty good. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Big. He is risen. He is risen indeed. <laughs> all right. I love it. Okay, so what we are doing today is we are celebrating, and I mean celebrating this incredible reality fact that has happened, and that was that Jesus, who is God, came to us and did the most miraculous things, healed people that were born blind, delivered people from things, did miracles, showed charity, gave wisdom, did the most extraordinary things that the world has ever seen to this day. Not another man in all of human history having done even close to what Christ did. And for all of that grace that he poured out on us, for all of those miracles, for all those things that that he did for us, what we did in return was killed him. (laughs) Because, of course, that's what you do with somebody that's doing you good. Now, if you're a Christian, you understand what that means. If you're not, I get it, and just hang, hang in there one second and welcome. But here's the deal. If you're a Christian, you understand something, and that was before you were a Christian, you understood that you didn't really get all of this stuff. You didn't get that there was anything that you were doing that was against God. It just didn't feel like that. Okay, but then when you became a Christian, all of a sudden you began seeing, oh my gosh, just decision after decision after decision after decision being made the way that you think rather than the way that God thinks. God has a better way. God has a magnificent way. And then we just repeatedly keep coming back and doing it the way we think it ought to be done. And so this is very much why we killed him. And what what he's saying, just real simple, well, I'll get to that in a second. But, But here's the point. Okay? Even if you don't know the Lord, you do have this in your life. This I certainly had this. I came to the Lord later in life. And, and I had in my heart that when I knew that there were decisions that I had made that weren't the best thing. They weren't for my best, they just simply weren't the best. And yet I went ahead and did them anyway because it's what I wanted to do. And I knew that some of them weren't going to turn out that well for me. And yet I still did them. <laughs> So what I want to say is, is all of us have this thing. All of us have this thing where we recognize what we've done is chosen some way other than God, and in so doing, what happens is, is that we've separated ourselves from Him. That what we say in biblical ease and Christian ease is, we say the penalty for sin is death, and what that means is, is when you choose to go your way, then you've separated yourself from God, who is just simply saying, I'd like you to go my way, but you don't have to. Now, the reason why we celebrate today is because on Good Friday, this is Jesus taking upon himself the decisions, the consequences of the decisions that you and I have made. The times that we separated ourselves from him, him on the cross is simply him taking upon himself the consequences for those decisions, right? But the cool thing about Easter is, the reason why it doesn't end on Friday is because Sunday's coming. And the cool thing that happens on Sunday is... In fact, this moment, this moment right here, being depicted in that film, The Passion, that's the most important moment in all of human history. Everything that has happened before points to it, and everything that has happened since then looks back at it. What do we mean when we say that? Just take it one second here. Watch this. If, as Christians say, and as I believe is reality, whether you believe it or not. But if it's true that God actually made us, then the reason why he made us was because he wanted to be with us. That was his whole heart. It wasn't anything else. It wasn't what we could do for him. It wasn't any. God, God who made everything, could take care of everything quite fine. Thank you. But what he did was, is he made us simply to be with us. And in the garden, we were. But it's not a relationship if it's forced. And so God put in the garden a tree, and he said, now watch." He said, you can eat of that tree, but don't. (laughs) Because in the day that you do, that'll be you separating yourself from me. He gave us free will, a real choice, as to whether or not we wanted to stay with him or not. And so, of course, one day we did, in fact, go ahead and eat of that tree, and we were separated from him. And now, all of human history up until Jesus, this moment, of him rising again, looks forward in this way. God is saying throughout that time, you want to do it your own way? That's fine. Remember what the goal of life is, what the goal of creation is, to be with me, right? So go ahead, try it. Do it on your own. For thousands of years, he let us be on our own. Nobody ever got back to him. So then he established a relationship with Abraham and with Moses and with other particular individuals in order to have a relationship with some people. Nobody ever actually got back to him that way. So then he said, look, when you do bad things, I'm going to have bad things happen to you. When you do good things, I'm going to have good things happen to you. We think that we would learn from that, right? We all think that if you do bad things to me right when I do something bad, then I'll learn not to do bad things. I won't put my hand on that stove anymore. And that we are all burned to a crisp on the number of times that we've stuck our hand back on that stove. Right? And so there came a time when he said, look, we said, actually, give us a king to make us do the right thing. And he says, fine, I'll go ahead and give you a king. It's not going to work out like you thought. And sure enough, it didn't work out out well at all. Nobody ever got back to him. And so there comes another time when he says, look, I'm going to send you prophets. And here's what the prophets are going to do. Listen to this now. The prophets are going to tell you, if you keep doing this, then this is going to happen. Now, the first time you hear that, you can be excused a little bit for not doing it, right? Because you don't really believe it's going to happen. But after about 30, 40, 100 times that God has told you something is going to happen and then it happens, don't you think you would learn to start listening to the prophets? And yet, nobody does. Nobody does. In these ways and in countless other ways, God has let us find every way on our own to possibly imagine to get back to the created purpose, which was to be with him. It's not just to live life. It's to be with him. He made us to be with him, to experience the love. God, three in one, so loved one another that he made more to fall in love. And in all those thousands of years before Christ, nobody ever got there. And so what it taught us was, was we were looking forward to, we need help. (laughs) We need something to happen. We need something outside of what we can do. And that's the cross. This is God doing for us what we couldn't. Do you see it? That's the cross. And of course, the cross is not the end of it. If it were, then let's not meet tomorrow, okay? or next Sunday because the end of it is him risen again the end of it is him rising again because now that he and and this is really simple how how did he rise again and nobody else ever did not like this there's been other dead people that come back to life but there's reasons and all that kind of stuff but nobody ever did what he did dead in the grave for three days and then rose again why how did he do that? Well, because what we say is, is he took all of our consequences upon himself, but the penalty for sin is death, and he himself did no sin. So in Christianese, we say the grave couldn't hold him. And all does that mean is, is that there was, there was no way that he could stay dead because <laughs> he hadn't done it. He'd simply taken all of ours and put it in the grave where he could now rise fresh. And anybody who would receive what he has done for them can rise in him as he rises in them. See it? Now, this is what we celebrate. This is what Easter is all about. And we're going we're gonna to do something right now, and that is we're going we're gonna to pray, and then, but then we're going to go deeper into what this is because there's a thing that God wants to show us today about what all of I, what I just said, about a level to which I don't think we process this often, if ever. And when we really understand where God wants to take us with this, all of a sudden we're going to see something that he wants to do with us is extraordinary. So this is an Easter, baby, okay? This is an Easter. And Tammy, you're going to pray for us. And th- Tammy is so wonderful. I, you have just been such a blessing in my life, in Julie's life. Every small group that you are in, this is a girl who has seminary training and so on, but she would never tell you that. She just lives the gospel, and brings joy. You are a joy. So pray for the sermon, and would you, do, instead of just praying for a church, would you pray for the church around the world that Jesus shows up at every service
1: this Sunday? Father, we're, um, we're humble before you for creating us, for loving us, for putting up with us, and for solving um, all the problems that we created for ourselves. We thank you for your power, uh, for your patience, and Lord, I pray that um, today you would speak powerfully to each one of us, uh, that you would use uh, Kurt's voice, but that even as you're speaking um, through him, that you're also speaking to him and to all of us. I pray, Father, that your word would go out, that your power would be seen, and that that we would take the time to really hear what you have to say to us. And Father, I pray um, for each service that's going on today, that's worshiping you, that's that's telling people about you, for each person in those services, Lord, who who either know you very well or don't know you at all, I pray, Lord, that you would show them something new, that you Amen. would open their eyes to something new, that you Amen. would soften their hearts for something that you have to say to them, that you would plant seeds, Lord, that you would plant seeds that you would then grow. And uh, I pray, Lord, that you would give us boldness and courage as you ask us to partner with that. So, Lord, bless the churches around the world, the churches on the east side, and uh, Lake Sam, and Lord, just uh, may your will be done. In Jesus' powerful name, amen. Amen. I was right, wasn't I? (laughs) She's cool.
0: I'm going to take us to a... tough place. I'm just telling you that right now. I won't linger there too long, but I need to in order to get to where I think God wants to take us. And so I want us to deal with something right now, just in our hearts and in our lives and so on. And what I want us to deal with for a second is is this idea that there are things that are beyond us. And I'm going to take, for example, something that I suppose there's probably not a family or a member here, a person here who hasn't dealt with this in some significant fashion, it was someone that they love deeply, and that's cancer. Okay? I mean, pretty much everybody, right, is getting touched by this. It's happening all over the place. It's, something's breaking down horribly, and people are breaking down, and this is a terrible thing. But now watch. When a person gets a diagnosis for cancer, the first thing that everybody says that's ever had that is is that that's, that's a defining moment in your life, and it changes everything, right? You, you know, you're like, not me. But it changes everything. and then, But then what happens after a, a, a little bit of time is is people start fighting, right? And we talk about it in the, in the language of, I'm fighting the good fight. I'm fighting against this. I'm, I'm waging battle. I'm going to win this battle. I'm going to win, right? This is how we talk about it. And we should be talking about it that way, shouldn't we? Because it is a fight, and the fact of the matter is is that you can put up a good fight, and thankfully, for all kinds of different reasons, there's all kinds of people who are not dying from cancers that they might have died from just years ago. Right? We are learning a lot. We are growing a lot. And there's a, you know, put up the fight. Don't just give in, right? I got a cancer thing. Like, oh well, I'll just sit back. No, you go after it. You go after treatments and you go after lifestyle changes and you do all kinds of things. And you go after this thing, and you're supposed to have, we're built to have, hope in our hearts. And so you should have this hope and this fight that's in you. And you should go after that thing as hard as you can, right? Now, this is true, and and let me just make it clear, I'm not talking in abstraction right now. This is my brother Dave, who's in a very tight spot right now about this whole thing. So this isn't an abstract idea. When I pick this thing out of the hat, I don't just pick it out of the hat, I pick it out because it means something to me. And I want him to fight the fight, and I'm there fighting with him and doing everything I possibly can. And many people in this congregation have helped him in all kinds of ways, and thank you for that. But here's the point that I want to make today, and I don't, I'm not saying anything at all about Dave when I say this whatsoever, but we do need to recognize something about cancer, and that is every three seconds, somebody dies from it. No matter how much progress we've made, one 1,000, two 1,000, three 1,000 another person who is loved more than life itself by somebody passes away and what I want us to do for a second is I want us to understand that as much as God built us for hope to the point that we don't actually focus on the the negative the, the, the other things I want to propose something to you that we think in life we think in all kinds of different reasons that there's things like it doesn't occur to somebody You know, when you're driving a car, it just doesn't occur to us the number of people that die every day in car wrecks. And by the way, here too, we've made lots of progress, right? I mean, you see some of these accidents anymore where people walk away because of the technology that's in cars, the way that we've improved things, and it's astounding, isn't it? I mean, you're blown away by what's happened. But at the same time, every day, there's another huge number of people that will pass away in a second and they could do nothing about it. Right? It wasn't under control. There's people in here right now that you did not do anything to lose your job. What happened was, is some other company bought your company and just laid a whole bunch of people off. Right? That wasn't on you. That wasn't under your control. It just happened and you were the, you were the unfortunate recipient of what happened, right? What I want us to do for a second here is I want us to own something which is this slice, if, if this is a whole pie, right, this is a whole pie, and this is all of life, that there's a slice of this pie which we can control, which we think about, which we focus on, which we think is quite a large slice of that pie, and is in fact growing bigger, thank you God. But the truth of the matter is, the much larger, that's just the slice of the pie, the much larger part of the pie that's left is how much there is in this world over which we have absolutely no control. In various ways, right? I know that you can, you can, you can tweak things and tweak things and tweak things, but you're still left with a huge number of tragic things and horrible things that are happening to people over which they have no control. Control. Now when I do that, the reason why I want us to own that for a second is because I want us just for a second to own how much of life is not under our control. And the reason why is because when we do that, what we think to ourselves is, right, this is how we are, we say, well, that's life. Something tragic happened like that, and boy, you know, you could have protected this, and you could have done this, but this happened, and and there's just nothing you could do, and that's life. That's just the way it is. That's life, right? That's how we do it, right? Kind of fatalistic, right? And we think that there's no way to do anything about all the rest of that pie. But what if there was? In fact, let me just, what if there was something that God did in the world which was as close to a proof as God is ever going to give us about something happening in that slice of the pie that we don't think things like this could ever happen. And it's as close to a proof as it'll ever be. And here's what I mean by that. God gave us free will. He's never going to prove it to you beyond a shadow of a doubt. You're always going to have an ability to explain it some other way. But he's given us more evidence about one thing that fits in that slice of the pie where we don't think things are possible more than any other single event in all of human history and it turns out to be the resurrection when I say that I want you to understand uh, that's not how we think about it we don't think about the resurrection as something we don't think about the resurrection as something that is absolutely the most verifiable thing that's ever happened we don't think about that, that way we think well you can believe a lot of things about Christianity but you know that one's a little hard to believe But you have to understand that throughout the centuries, throughout the millennia now, millions upon millions of people have seriously studied this. They have looked at the evidence for it and against it with an open mind. There's lots of people that have looked for it in order to disprove it. They had a closed mind going in, and then you're going to find whatever you want to find because God gave you free will. But people going after this, millions and millions of people have looked at the resurrection, and what they have said is the vast majority is, it turns out that you cannot simply dismiss it. It turns out that when you really look at the evidence, it's virtually impossible to dismiss with intellectual honesty. It's impossible to dismiss that a guy died and then rose again three days later. There's people that say it this way. See, they say it's swoon theory. What happened was is he really wasn't dead. You know, people have, people have been found in graves, unfortunately, scratching the top of the I don't know. That's too gruesome. But, but you, know, it, you know, things have happened, right? And so they say, well, you know, he just swooned. Well, let me make two things clear to you. One is, is that when that Roman stuck the spear into his side and out came water and blood, that's a way of talking that Luke, a doctor, is communicating to everybody throughout history that's a way of saying that there was blood in cavities where it didn't belong best explanation is is that his heart burst that he had he'd leaked blood into areas where it didn't belong and we should have gotten a different mixture of things coming out of there if he was still alive but he was dead okay and and by the way the other reason why you can't really say swoon theory is because people that saw him after he'd risen again he did things like he just showed up in rooms where the doors were locked right that's how he showed up to the disciples the first time he just shows up so when that kind of stuff happens all of a sudden you starts saying we get that it's jesus but it's not jesus who swooned and now he's just a regular guy again soon to die again there's something different about him there's something different about the god that they saw the person that they saw again there's something different about it now understand from the very beginning there's been people that have been trying to write this off okay just real quickly okay right at the very beginning a meeting with the elders is called the the tomb is empty the guards are freaked it means their lives they're going to be killed because they didn't protect the situation and they decided to give the soldiers a large bribe and they told the soldiers you must say jesus disciples came during the night while we were sleeping and they stole his body now here's the question that we have to ask if we're gonna be historians if we're gonna be if we're gonna have some reasoning about this the question we have to ask is is why isn't that the narrative that most people in the world have today oh the guards told us they were they were bribed right you know or whatever right the guards did this you know they the the people came and stole his body weight why isn't that the predominant narrative in the world why isn't it that you know why because there was a counter story that was going on that everybody could verify that was clear you could check it out yourself and here's the way that it went Jesus Paul talking some years later Jesus was buried and raised again from the dead on the third day just as scriptures foretold he was seen by Peter and then by the 12 after that he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time and here's the key part most of whom are still alive today if you think I'm saying something that isn't true Here's the names of the people that you can go talk to that saw him. So go talk to him. Do you see it? And then he says he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. And last of all, though I, had not been, though I had been born at the wrong time, meaning he became a Christian later, I also saw him. Now, even that we can say, well, that was made up. Right? We could go on some journey and we could say something like this. Well, you know, it was a good way for people to like, get people to give them money and then they didn't have to work very hard. They could just talk to people, right? And that was a good way to provide for themselves, right? Now that works really well right up until you understand something. The vast majority of the 500 plus people that saw him, the vast majority died and could have spared their lives from gruesome deaths by simply recanting that they'd seen him by simply recanting the story this is happens to be just one of them this is Peter he's in Rome he's a major figure in Rome he will not recant that he saw Jesus again so they crucify him and he says please crucify me upside down so that cuz I'm not worthy to die like my Lord did now if you were doing this for a couple of bucks to make your life a little easier don't you think that there'd come a point in time at which they've got you hooked up to four horses and they're about to slap them and tell them to run, which is going to take four different parts of you to different ways. Wouldn't you think that at least one of those 500 people would have said, at least once, just one guy, that one of them would have said, just to spare their own skin, literally, right? Uh, didn't happen. <laughs> when you're strapped up to the horse, don't you think if it was just something that was made up not something that they had witnessed in fact let's just say they did witness it let's just say that they did see Jesus again but it was swoon or it was or it was all these other ways what in the world made not one of those people ever in the most gruesome deaths beheadings stonings to death which is a pretty painful way to die crucifixions being torn apart by horses it was the litany of the way that these hundreds of people died for not recanting this story is horrible and yet not one ever recanted do you know how far you know there's a lot of writings from this time that we have if there was even one person that ever recanted anywhere it would have made the newspapers <laughs> it would have made the rounds this guy said it was true but then he recanted we have to ask ourselves in in, the, in lawyerly terms marty get, uh, help me if i'm wrong on this but in lawyerly terms first of all there's circumstantial evidence but then there's something else that's called a declaration against interest right does the declaration have to be verbal or can it be circumstantial too yes Usually your testimony but can it be an evidence of something where it's where it's like a behavior that you, it's not understandable except that the person except that against their interest okay a declaration against self-interest means this you are saying something that's not in your best interest to say I killed them that's not in your best interest to say so we tend to think that stuff like that is true In the same spirit, I want you to understand, if not one of over 500 people ever recanted the story, it was in their self-interest to spare themselves. Why didn't at least one of them just lie just to save his skin for that moment? Really ponder that for a second. Why didn't at least one person lie just to spare themselves from dying in that moment? You know, people freak out when they're about to die, right? You don't know what you're gonna do. So why didn't even one of them Recant. There's only one plausible explanation. They not only saw Jesus after he was risen, but they saw him in the way that he was that was quite different than how they are. And they knew that it meant that there was life after death. And that to recant this thing for a momentary sparing of life would be to reject eternity with the God that gave himself for them. Do you see it? The reason why they didn't recant was because it wasn't worth it to them. They did the equation in their mind, and they said, eternity, this heavy, the fact I'm about to get torn up with horses, not unheavy. But it doesn't actually outweigh. And so I'm going to go through this. Because like Stephen said when he was being stoned to death, I look and I see Christ seated at the right hand. You see it? You don't turn away from that. And what I want us to understand is is that this is what, when we talk about this being the most witness to and and, and researchable thing in all of human history. It's the moment that has been studied more than any other moment in all of history. And what I'm telling you is, I've talked to you about one strain of argument, and there's about a hundred. And every one of them, if a person will look at them carefully, open-mindedly, what you will find is, is that God has left a witness in the world that is astounding. And in fact, the most amazing thing about it in some sense is he told us he was going to do it and why he was going to do it. Because remember, this is from a text that we have. You could have seen it down at Seattle Center a while back. And, and that was, this is at least 167 years before Christ was even born. And you can see the fragment that has this passage in it. But you go back all the way to about 600 years before Christ is born when it was actually written. And listen to what it says. Now, by the way, this whole thing, Isaiah 53, 51, Psalm 22, these are eyewitness accounts of what's happening on the cross. They do not fit any other person in all of human history. Listen to what Jesus, listen to what God is saying about Jesus. Unjustly condemned, does that sound about right? He was led away, led away to the mountain. No one cared that he died without ascendance. Did he have a son? Did he have daughters? Did he have children? That was the end of his, that was the end of him, right? That his life was cut short in midstream. Probably around 37 years old. But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. Who's that? Us. (laughs) Right? The people who had chosen to go away from God. The ones that he loved. The ones that he had another way to go. He was struck down for rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong. Is there anybody else in all of human history that you can say that about? Had never deceived anyone. Look at this. He was buried like a criminal, right? With the criminals on the cross. But it just so happened it was in a rich man's grave. Nicodemus and Bartholomew who come and take him and put him into a rich man's grave, tomb. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Good plan to crush somebody and cause him grief? How does that make any sense? Tell me any other situation in all of history that makes any sense. (laughs) Those words mean nothing unless there's a Jesus who died and rose again, who is God to save mankind. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, right? He will have many descendants you and me he will enjoy a long life and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands you know it takes a certain amount of chutzpah it really does to not believe we think the harder thing is to believe the truth of the matter is with all the evidence that God gave us this thing that God did with all the things we To to understand, there's there's soon to be three billion Christians in the world. It's not quite half, but it's close to half of the people in all the world. It takes a certain amount of chutzpah for someone to say, I'm going to write off all the evidence, and I'm going to write off three billion people, roughly. It's two point something right now. But two point some billion people who have had an experience. They weren't coerced. Right? When you think about Islam, understand these are in in nations, it's a fast growing religion, but it's in nations where you can't be anything else, or you're it's greatly see what I'm saying? In some places it's just illegal and they'll kill you as we're finding out all over the world. Right? Unbelievable what's taking place. But even then it's you're 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 born into it and you never get anything else. You never get exposed to anything else. You're coerced into it. That's why it's growing so fast. Here's the thing about Christianity it's growing fast everywhere, and it's not coerced anywhere. Why are people choosing it? Because though born out of time, they come to recognize Him. They've had a relationship with him. There's something that's happened that is with them. And when they go to their friends, they say, something happened in me. It changed me. This is my cousin Jack. He's known me for a long time. Jack, was I changed when I became a Christian? A little bit. (laughs) Okay? Now, that was him being very kind because he's a very nice man. When he says a little bit, he means lots. (laughs) Okay? There was a change. It takes a certain amount of chutzpah to just say all those billions of people and billions of testimonies are wrong and I'm right. You, you know what chutzpah is defined as, a little joke here? Okay, chutzpah is defined as a guy who would kill his mother and his father and throw himself on the court, as, as, on the mercy of the court as an orphan. Did you get it? It's too gruesome, too much? Okay, chutzpah is having a certain amount of audacity. You're right, everybody else is wrong. See it? There's another little joke about chutzpah and it's, I'd like to buy this book on chutzpah, but I want you to pay for it. <laughs> See what it is? All right, so I wanna say something. What God is doing is, is, he's taken this unbelievable act, which is a man who died for real And rose again a different kind of being and still lives to today this is an act that stands in that part of the pie that has to do with the fact that there's no way that could happen according to our understanding right there's no way that could happen and yet it did and it's verifiable and I want to suggest to you that what God is doing with this is is he's trying to say something, you can't, but I can. You see what he's doing? He's saying this sliver of the pie that you're working, keep working that, it's important that you work that, it's good, but I want you to understand, there's this whole other, there's this whole other area of life in which you cannot actually do anything about it, but guess what, I can. And then if we just take it one step deeper and we understand something, which is all these things that God did for us, he didn't need to do. He didn't need to create us in the first place, right? When he created us, he knew that it was going to lead to Christ's death. So why not just stop right there? (laughs) Just don't create them so that doesn't have to happen, right? Or create them and give them free will, and if they all mess up, who cares? You know what I mean? You made them, you can get rid of them. Why do something else? And all of a sudden what we begin to understand is the depths of God's heart and love for us. That everything that he did, everything in all of creation, in all of creation, everything turns out to be about you. Just you, Liz, only you. Do you see it? It turns out to be about us. Everything that God did in all of creation was about us. When we see that all of a sudden, we we start to get a hold of another layer on this, what he's really trying to say is, is, let me do for you what you cannot. Right? We're gonna do something right now, and we're gonna do it because I'm at a place in the sermon, I'm not done, and we don't have a lot left but we're going to do something. Go ahead and come up, guys. But we're going to do something right now because I just can't get past this moment without rejoicing a little bit, okay? So we're going to do something right now. This is our, this is our uh, seventh inning stretch, okay? And what we're going to do is I want you to stand up, and what we're going to do is we're going to praise God. And the reason why we're going to praise God is because God did everything for you, and it's okay for us to praise him about it. Right? It's a good thing. So what I want you to do is stand up and we're going to, like I say, we're going to sing a song of praise to him. And would you do me a favor? Even if you're the worst singer in the world, would you forget about it being about anybody else? And would you just belt it out? Okay? We want a big, full, robust praise God moment right here. All right?
2: life you are love you bring light to the darkness you give hope you restore every heart that is broken and great are you Lord right, sing that again you give life you are love. You bring light to the darkness. You give hope. You restore every heart that is broken. And great are you, Lord's oh, breath. It's your breath in our love. So we pour out
0: lord praise your name you are glorious just thank him and praise him in your in your words thank you lord thank you god for who you are for what you've done it is truly your breath in our lungs and so we pour out our praise to you and you alone thank you god thank you god thank you god Thank you, God. And now despite the fact that what I really want to do is nothing more than just keep praising him for the next 20, 30 minutes, we're not going to do that. Thank you guys very much, and thank you. Go ahead. Like I say, we've only got a couple of innings left on this, okay? But what I want us to see is, okay, and we're taking a strong right-hand turn right now, because that is the Easter message that I just gave you, and that's about as good as I can do it, so there you go, okay? Okay. But what I want to do is that two months ago, I was on my walk and I was looking forward. You know, two months in this church is, I never know where I'm going to be. I don't know where I'm going to be next week, let alone two months from now. But I looked forward and I said, God, where are we going to be on this Easter morning? And God took me right to where we actually are, minus just a couple of verses that we're going to be looking at at some other time. But the bottom line is he took me right to a passage. And I read this passage. And in order for us to really get the weight of what this passage is, remember, for those of you who are just visiting and so on, that, and for those of you, well, anyway, but we do this, we're this; we doing this series here that's taking a couple of years, about three and a half, I think. But it has to do with Empowered. And the idea, the imagery is, is that the Holy Spirit comes down on you in order to move through you in order to touch that huge piece of the pie which cannot be touched by you. He wants to do through you what you cannot. See, a second ago when we just read that, we read that as he wants to do what you cannot, meaning you getting out of sin, meaning delivering yourself, all of those kinds of things. But now all of a sudden we're taking a strong right-hand turn and what we're looking at is he wants to do through you what you could not for somebody in need. Now I want you to show you, with that in mind, I want to show you the verse that God took me to and said, this is where you're going to be this Easter, because I want you to see something extraordinary. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. Now what are we doing? Who is this for? For us? Not really, right? We know the guy in the house, but we're going to the house to get bread for someone else. Wanted to borrow three loaves of bread. You say to him, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit and I have nothing for him to eat. Suppose he calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me. The door is locked for the night. My family and I are in bed. I can't help you. But I tell you this, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. God is telling you to have shameless persistence. Now watch. Because see, normally when we read this whole section, we read it in sections. So we take the pieces apart and we lose the flow. Well, who is this story about? Is it about something for us? Who's it for? Somebody that we're trying to help. Now watch where this goes, because most of the time you've ever read these next verses, you've read them having to do with you. This is for me, but I'm showing you right now, this is not the context. Not to say that God doesn't do these things, but just to say what's the context of the actual verses, because watch. So I tell you, keep on asking and you'll receive. Don't we normally do that? I need to keep asking for something I need. See, it's usually about me, right? But you see what he's saying? Keep on asking for your friend, and you'll receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking for your friend and you'll find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. See the direct correlation to what just came before? For everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. Everyone who knocks, the door will be open. You fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? If they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now I want you to just take a moment here on this. Last little section there. When he says give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him, what's he talking about? Is he talking about the Holy Spirit that comes into us and makes us new creatures because of the sacrifice Jesus has made, borns us again, makes us new? gives us God's nature, and then lives in us. Is that what he's talking about, that Holy Spirit? Because it really isn't, is it? The Holy Spirit he's talking about is the one I just showed you in our illustration. Same Holy Spirit, but he's talking about two different actions of the Spirit. He's talking about one action. We think of the Holy Spirit that comes in and makes us new. He's talking about the Holy Spirit that comes upon in order to move through to somebody. Do you see it? That's the Holy Spirit He's saying, I'll give you. When you come and when you knock, when you, key word for us right now, shamelessly persist. When you shamelessly persist, I'll get up and I'll move through you and I'll help them. God, my my friend has a really bad thing happening, but your will be done. I always believe in God's will being done. But where's the knocking? God, did you not hear me? My brother's dying. God, did you not hear me? My friend is destitute. God, did you not hear me? See what he said? You see it? In fact, this is, God says this all over the place. This is what God said to me. Was, he said to me, what if Easter isn't about you this year? That's what he said to me. What we do is we celebrate what God did for us. We just did that. It's awesome. It's Easter. It's good. But what if this year Easter isn't about you? What if this year you're taking on and being conformed to the image of one who did something for you? What if that's who we want you to be this year? What if he wants you to be the one? I searched for a man or a woman amongst them who would stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land, but I didn't find anybody. In fact, watch this one. I love this one. God declared that he would destroy the Israelites, but Moses, his chosen one, stepped between the Lord and the people and begged him to turn from his anger and spared the people. Intercessor. Moses, Jesus is our ultimate intercessor. Moses is the archetype for that step between God and the people in order to beg for them. Well, what if today you're the chosen one for somebody? What if you're the chosen one? What if there's somebody that's in your life right now that is in desperate need of God? Desperate need of Jesus rising again, not just in you, but in them who don't even know him yet, or in them who do know him, but yet they need him to rise yet again in them to life, to hope, to deliverance. Do you see it? What if we're the ones today that God is saying when the friends were taking their friend who was so paralyzed that he couldn't even walk and so he was he was taking them on his on the pallet, right? And what happened was is when they got there they couldn't bring it because of the crowd it was so much outside. So they went up to the roof and they dug a hole in the roof and they lowered the man on the mat right down in front of Jesus. And then what happens? Seeing their faith. Jesus says, get up, take your pallet, and walk out of here. And the guy stands up and walks out of there. Why? Because of his faith? Because ours. What if this Easter isn't about us? What if it's about somebody who has a desperate need that you know? And I want you to do something right now. I want you, we're going to, we do the, we're going to just do a couple of minutes of this right now. I've already shared with you about my brother Dave, who I am in pretty much 24-7 prayer about right now. And, and God has had he's had many ups and downs and everything else, but this is a moment of I am shamelessly persisting. Who's got something like this that they have somebody that needs this? Would you, would you just raise your hand? Go ahead. Zach, look at all these hands. Zach, and then we'll come here. Do you, yeah, go right there. Stand up. And and ma- make these quick, okay? Thank you, Zach. Go ahead. So, we have a, a house guest who has
2: cancer, and we've taken her in to, to
3: help.
0: And I want God to heal her. She's and sitting
3: it's right breaking here. my heart. Yeah. And I believe that God
0: is, is strong enough to do it, and I just this message about shamelessly persisting. Yeah. I just never saw it that way. And the whole ask, seek, knock, I didn't see the passage before that it was about others. Yeah. I always took that
3: as me yeah. if I ask, if I seek, if yeah. I knock for me. Yeah. But I didn't see that, and that's, that's something Thank else. Thank you,
0: Zach. Thank you. Go ahead right here. Could you stand up and could you just kind of tell us who you are too? Thank you.
1: I have friends that don't know Jesus because they're all Muslim. Yeah. And I love them dearly. Yeah. And I just pray that they can see.
0: Yeah. And the world would tell us, no problem, let them be. But there's something that God has told us that we believe in and we want that for them. We don't want to push it on them. We don't want to do things that would But but your heart bleeds for them. Go ahead.
1: I also have friends that live under military occupation, and I cry out to God every day for them to be free.
0: Amen, amen. Who else? Let's go ahead. There was a bunch of hands that went up. I want to get, go ahead. But go down these rows a little bit, would you, Adam? Okay. I
1: I just have a dear friend who's in the hospital uh, who had colon cancer, and when they, uh, she's been under chemo and radiation, and when they went in to remove the tumors, I found scarring tissue. So they were, she was in surgery for 10 hours. Then she had kidney issues because the doctors hit something, cut it. And so now she called me this. Or I actually talked this morning. She's in a really bad way. Okay. She's a lovely Christian lady. That's good.
0: It's good. Not, not just healings, too. Somebody needing a miracle financially, that kind of thing. Somebody that you know that needs these. Raise your hands again. There was lots of hands that went up. Now that you know you're going to get called on, all the hands stay down. <laughs> get your hands up there, okay? Come on, Greg, Tammy, go
3: ahead. I have a brother who uh, helped lead me to the Lord about 40 years ago, and he's since turned away. And my my heart is just broken again and
0: again and again that he would come back. Amen. Amen. People caught in addictions, right? Go
1: ahead. I have a son who has, who needs mental or emotional healing. Amen. Amen. Go ahead, Tammy. Um, I have a friend who has a, a really strong call to ministry um, that hasn't really been fulfilled yet. And, uh, Beautiful. And, and just... Financially, and a bunch of other things just really needs beautiful. Who else? Just just get three or four more? Go ahead.:
3: My name is Mike Shannon. Um, in 1980, my mom had a Bible study in her kitchen, um, and they were all women, and I thought, these women need to get a job.) <laughs> <laughs> and after 15 years, I came to a point where I was going to shoot myself with my pistol, and I challenged God to show himself. My whole body was engulfed in electricity. Started going to church with my parents and uh, said something to my mom. And she said, well, Mike, I had those women praying for you for seven years. Here, there you go. And so. Um, Job well done. I've been, uh, <laughs> I've been sober for 31 years by God's grace. And
0: That's awesome, Mike.
3: And, and, that is and, awesome. And so um, our boys were homeschooled with Christian curriculum, and they both uh, scholarshiped and have graduated from the UW. And each of them um, refuses to go to church. And so uh, their names it. are Matthew, who I named after the first book I read. Even, I though, it. even though I thought has no relevance, happened 2,000 years ago. Right. Yeah, That's what I thought. Five so years you... later, I looked back. It's like what the Bible says about a seed planted. Yeah. And uh, so Matthew, uh, we invited him to come to church, and uh, he, he isn't here with us. And our son Charlie as well. Amen. So I want you to pray for them. Thank you.
0: Amen. Absolutely. Let's do two more. Okay? Go ahead.
1: Hi. I have a 91-year-old mom, and she's scared. Oops. Yeah. (laughs) She's scared. And I am praying. I mean, she's always been the most faithful person I've ever known, and deeply faithful, but now she's scared to leave her eight children and her two gazillion grandchildren. I understand. Um, I love that. And I pray to bring Peace to her heart and to let her know that Christ is there and my daddy is waiting. And, Amen.
0: That you know, is just beautiful. Thank Christ you. Christ is so good to me. Do you Amen. know that the
1: day that my daddy died, I didn't know he was dead. I was driving down the street and I saw a sign on the side of the road, Joe Kelly singing karaoke tonight. Now, I got, my dad couldn't sing a tune if his life depended <laughs> on it. Ten minutes later, my mom called. Daddy died ten minutes ago. Well.
0: See how much God loves me? Amen. Amen. And I am let's do, let's do one more. Thank God. you. Thank you. One more. Where are you? Okay, go ahead. i a little
1: a nervous, um, but I'm really aware of uh, that this Easter is not about me. And I thought it was until last night I got a call and a very dear friend of mine is in the hospital oh. and he fell um, yesterday and uh Anyway, so I ask for your prayers. He may have a brain bleed. Oh, his fa- he fell on his face. Okay. And he broke his hand. And, uh, anyway, okay. so I ask for prayers.
0: Right now, you're seated in a way that is odd. And you've got, there's four chairs in back and there's four chairs in front. And then there's a table in between them. And and there's a reason why we did that, and it's for this moment right now. I I wanted to get some testimonies here because I wanted to to start getting your juices flowing on the people that you know in your life that have a tremendous need that this Easter not being for you, maybe it's for that person. And so what we're going to do is I just want you to think about the Wailing Wall. You know what that is? That's the last part of the temple that's standing, and it's because there's dirt behind it. You can't take it out because all the dirt would fall out, and the whole temple mount would fall down. And so what happens is, is that Jewish people go to the Wailing Wall, which is God's house, and that's all that's left of God's house. We're now his temple. But you'll see in the cracks that you'll see little pieces of paper everywhere in those cracks. And what's happening is is that Jewish people with a need, somebody having a need, so this could be them too, but we're about other people today, and what they're doing is, is they're going up and they're sticking that need in that little crack so that God would hear that prayer. And I want you to know that you'll see this butcher paper around the church right here. And what we're going to do is, is I'm asking you to take your chairs and do it in a way that makes sense. I mean, I get it's going to be a little hard to move around too much. But I want you to turn around, and in these little baskets here, you're going to see three by five cards. And you're going to see a pen. And then you're going to see one last thing, which is a felt pen. There's some communion too, which we're coming back to. But here's what I want you to do. Well, we do a little background music up here. It's gonna. I want you to write down on that 3x5 card, just let the Lord bring to you all the people in your life that have this need. Some of you, 3x5 card is not even going to get close to covering it, right? But I want you to write down the people that are there. Now, by the way, if you're here and you don't know the Lord, you can do this too. Because you've got people that have a need, and what's it going to hurt? Right? So write down the people that you want to... That you want to find him. He needs to rise in their life. Do you see what I'm saying? I want you to take this, and I want you to write that down between you and the Lord. Write down the names of those people, and then after, let's say, a minute or two, I'll give you a little cue. You know what I mean? But when you get those down there, I want you to look at the people that you've written down, and I want you to do something. I want you to just look at them and ask the Lord, is there one that stands out in particular this Easter? See it? Is there one of these requests, is there one of these needs that really stands out to me? In other words, instead of having seven or eight or nine or ten things that are on our hearts right now, is God focusing me on one? He needs to rise in all those situations. But is there one that stands out to me? And when there is one, there'll be at least one. There might be two or three, and that's fine. But what I want you to do is I want you to head to the walls with the felt tip marker, not the pen. Not the pen you're writing, okay, doing on ink up the walls. But with the with the marker, please don't use your own marker. We've got special ones that we can wash the walls with if we have to, okay? But what I want you to do is is I want you to do your own little form of whaling wall, only this one is... You can make it as anonymous as you want what you write up there if you wanna keep it so that somebody wouldn't see something and it wouldn't betray a confidence or something. But at the same time, can I just ask you, go for it. Write down their name. Write down what the need is. Okay, if that seems, like I said, if that doesn't seem right to you, fine, dial it back. But can I do something? Every single person in here, would you take, we're gonna take about seven or eight minutes to do this. And what I'm asking you to do is get to the wall and write down one of these prayers and then come back because we're not done we're going to do communion together and then we're going to dismiss but I want us to be together on this communion not for us but for someone else I'm telling you if I'm right about this can I say this? I don't think that the Lord gave this to me so that we would do this little exercise we're about to do right now I think the Lord did this because he wants to touch some people I think the Lord did this because there's this whole slice of the pie about which you can do nothing, but he can do something. And he's asking you to come before him and shamelessly persist. Boldly come before the throne. Lift up this person. Do you see it? Okay? So let's take this moment and do this. Lord, in Jesus' name. Bring to, our, bring to our minds the things that we need to know. You can turn your chairs, by the way, if you want, and I'm kind of hoping that you do to make a little clump of people so that when we do communion, but, but Lord, would you just speak? Would you, would you give us the people and then would you give us the person? Let us know the needs. You already know them. Let us know them. That we're bringing before you so that when you meet them, we will know that you're saying something to us. We will know that you're trying to say something to that person. We will be emboldened with who you are and what you do this fine Easter morning. Take the time and do this, please.